Hey there, and welcome to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and today we're bringing in Suzanne Skurlock Durana. Now, I've been interested in the subject of trauma and with working with trauma on the massage table. So I feel really lucky to be able to bring in Suzanne to talk about that process. Suzanne is the author of two books on the subject, the first of which is called Full Body Presence, and the most recent one that was just released is called Reclaiming Your Body. Suzanne is also an international teacher and a speaker with decades of experience. So I had a great conversation with Suzanne. I found her clear and accessible, and as most great conversations go, I found myself more curious to explore the topic after I finished than when I started. So if you have any follow-up questions that you think I should have asked, or if this conversation brings up anything for you, I would love to hear from you. And hopefully I can use it to inform my next conversation on the topic. Now, I found there to be a number of golden nuggets throughout this conversation, especially when it came to the therapist utilizing their curiosity, and also the benefits for massage therapists on educating themselves in working with trauma. Anyways, I hope you find this topic and discussion informative. I give you my conversation with Suzanne Skurlock Durana. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Suzanne. Thank you, Haley. This is my delight to be here with you this hour. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a, a really important conversation we're about to have because uh, a lot of massage therapists end up encountering uh, trauma in their their work life, in the office space, uh, whether they intend to or not. And being able to handle a situation like that and being able to work with it successfully, I think, is really important. So uh, finding out more resources and, and learning about how we can work with it is a, is a really important thing to tackle, I think. So just to drop right into it, um, how did you initially get interested in the topic of trauma? Well, uh, as I write about in Reclaiming Your Body, and I also write about it in Full Body Presence, my two books, at the age of 17, I was strangled by, I almost died, uh, strangled to the point of passing out by someone who was a good friend. He was crashing on amphetamines. Uh, I had no clue. I didn't, I was sort of out of the loop of that whole drug culture. You know, I, I did all the garden variety of smoking pot and all that stuff, but not, not the, the deeper stuff that was going on that I didn't know about. And that trauma and how my body reacted to it and what I figured out from it afterwards was what really started me down the detective journey of figuring out how my body knew what it knew about what was about to happen. And it was pretty crippling for me about a decade because in 1971, there was not a whole lot being done about trauma. It, there just wasn't. You know, my parents were supportive, but they sent me to a talk therapist for Pete's sake, which, you know, blank slate talk therapist on top of that. So she wasn't even really engaging. Hmm. She was just saying, talk about what happened. I was like, ah, ah, you know, what, what do we do with that? I think I sat with her for about three sessions and went home and said, mom and dad, this is useless. Don't, you know, let's not bother. And it was finding good body workers in the next decade that really helped me to release that trauma. Um, so that was a really key piece that helped me to recognize how the body holds on to trauma and how we can heal it and release it. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so what started you into to working with it and, and teaching about working with it? Well, interestingly enough, I began, I took my first craniosacral class in the fall of 1983 after graduating from massage school. 
I was actually in one of the very first classes that Dr. Upledger ever taught outside of Michigan State. And I was absolutely fascinated by the work. And even at that early date, he was already working with and talking about trauma and the way it locked in the body and how we could learn how to listen to the body and help it naturally unravel whatever is caught and help it to absolutely come on out with grace and ease and in a way that you could integrate. And so I then went on to become one of his instructors. Um, I teach cranial one, cranial two, SER one, the somato emotional releases, SER. And that work deals specifically with trauma, the mechanics of it in the body in areas that it normally gets stuck, and then the emotional and dialogue component of what needs to happen in order for trauma to really, really get released deeply and fully from the system. Hmm. And, yeah. you know, teaching that, that you do has recently culminated in the book that you, you mentioned, Reclaiming Your Body. Yeah. A lot of people teach mm-hmm. and, and they, without writing a book. So mm-hmm. what drew you to like, what inspired you to take your teachings and put them on paper? Well, the first thing I did back in 1996 was actually to create a whole audio series. Hmm. And it had all these different... Um, audio explorations, if you will, for how to be more present in your body and how to sink in, how to be present and figure out what it is you need when you're eating, when you're in nature, when you're in relationship with another person, how to have movement that helps you be more deeply embodied, how to use breath that helps you more deeply embody. So, and, and how to come inside to yourself and start to hold the places inside of you that you're locked out of. So, there's a whole exploration that carries on through both my first book, Full Body Presence, into my second book, Reclaiming Your Body. And those, that audio series was the only thing I had for well over, let's see, it was a decade and a half. But interestingly enough, one of my senior students, she used to sponsor my classes in Florida, kept hammering me. She said, Suzanne, you have to write a book. Suzanne, you have to write a book. And I'm, an, I'm an oral person. I'm a teacher, right? I make PowerPoint, but I'm not going to write a book. And it took me a full decade to write the first book. Uh, It took me a couple of years to write the second one. But what I see is that the more different avenues you can bring your work into the world, you can bring it in orally by teaching or by these kinds of interviews. You can do it by writing. You can do it by the audio um, that I work with all the time with people. But every different doorway is going to reach a different group of people. And I will tell you that my work and how many people I'm able to reach has just mushroomed exponentially with those two books. Hmm. And that's very exciting because I know that the work that I teach and what I do makes a really significant difference for people in their lives. So that piece of it, really understanding how to get it across and how to do it in a way that's nice and clear, not verbally obtuse or, you know, just a nice, clean, clear ways of writing about it and telling people stories about what, you know, what are the examples of this and, and then giving them audio they can listen to, to learn to build on it. That's very, very important. And so the audio goes with both of those books and it's just a download from my website. There's a password in each of the books for, for actually knowing how to download um, the audio. Cause that's at least half of the process is that being able to drop inside and really feel your core embodiment more and more deeply in your life. 
And what do you find is the most challenging piece of that initial finding, going deep inside yourself and finding your presence and stillness in there? Mm-hmm. What do you find is the most challenging piece for first-time students? <laughs> Depends on the student. Sometimes someone is so heady and educated that they can think about things, but they can't really feel them internally. And in fact, they have the limiting belief that the head is smarter than the body. So why would I want to listen to my body and my body's wisdom, right? Um, some people have, rel- have religious beliefs that say, ooh, don't go close to your body. It's going to be a trap. You're going to get seduced, you know, whatever it is. Or the other thing is that if you have trauma inside yourself as a therapist, when you start to drop inside and suddenly coming down the path is this old trauma, Many people, if they don't have additional resources, turn right, ra- right around and just whoop, right on up and out, and they'll tighten down around it. Um, I wrote an article for Massage Magazine sometime in the last, God, it has to have been in the last four or five years, where I talk about the fact that if you as a therapist haven't dealt with your own trauma yet, when other people's trauma comes up in the treatment room, you will become very, very uneasy. It will start to ping, ping, ping on all your insides where that trauma is locked down tight. And you will have to just literally tighten down in order to not have it spill over. And by the way, your client will notice that you've tightened down and you're no longer really deeply connected to them the way you were when you started this wonderful session. So it behooves us as therapists, number one, to do our own trauma work because nothing will stop you faster and your own trauma. Hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a way in which uh, anytime the system goes into some sort of emergency uh, state, fight whether it's fight or flight, right. yeah, whether it's uh, you're anxious, whether you just got done sprinting from one room to the other because you're running late, uh, your access to the, the full uh, your full mental capacity and compassion and uh, even just simple like clinical reasoning starts to go away. You have less access to your intelligence and your intuition when you're in, when you're in an emergency state. In an emergency state, I would also extend that to a tired state. Mm. You generally run yourself ragged. If your normal energy reservoir lives at a quarter of a tank or a half a tank, because you are going so far and so fast and so far and so fast, that, that also limits your capacity to think clearly. It limits your capacity to be more creative. It limits your capacity to read the signals from your clients. And that's a, that's a key piece, because a lot of what we do, a lot of what we do comes, the feedback comes from our hands into our knowing and if we've got a roadblock somewhere between our hands and our brain, like this, this part here in the center is locked down because of your own issues, you're going to miss the signals that they're giving you. Yeah. I did an yeah. interview recently with uh, Doug Nelson, and he put it pretty succinctly. He said, in the end, it turns out what's good for us is good for our clients. Absolutely. And yes. there's some yeah. real kind of sweetness and wisdom to that, where it's like, you know, oh, yeah. it, you take care of yourself and good things actually work out for your clients as well. You know, the cool part about it, and I, when I'm teaching my um, basic four-day training, I talk about the fact that when you're fully present, you have that core embodiment on board, and you are sharing with another person, be it a client, be it your beloved, whoever it is, 
the neighborhood dog, it doesn't matter. What happens is when you're really full, the process of giving and receiving become one. And there is, there is because it's just flowing through you and they're receiving it. And then you're getting back from them everything you need. And that's a, that, as Doug said, that's a, that's a really sweet thing. Just the practice of, say, of staying full presence-wise is a delicious state to live in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like you're being hyper-responsible. It actually feels good. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah. you get, then you get the res- – you can actually measure this. If you end your yeah. massage shift and you feel good and full, you're doing right. it right. And That's if you're exactly feeling right. tired and drained, maybe some adjustments are, ne- are needed. Yeah. Well, there could be two things going on there. If you're working too many hours in a row and you're not registering, you're not listening to your body, you may be doing it right, but you're doing too much of it. Okay. So that's your number one question you need to ask yourself when you start to really get inside and tune in. What is the, what is the optimal number of sessions I can do and still stay full and grounded and happy? And, but then the second thing is if you are walking away with someone else's headache, neck ache, back ache, you're feeling really groggy or soggy because somebody came in with something really painful and you had so much compassion for them that you ended up kind of soaking it up and they left feeling great. That's another big problem with boundaries. That is one of the things that I teach. Boundaries and empathy are two of the key skills we have to master as massage therapists. So empathy, my phrase for empathy is your empathy should be an asset, not a liability. But in order for it to be an asset, you must have healthy boundaries and you must have the capacity to refill your energy reservoir on a moment-to-moment basis. It has to be a habit for you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and clearly, you have to have multiple avenues to refill. Because if it's in That's a moment-to-moment right. basis, you may have access to certain things in one moment that you don't in the other. So having yep. multiple ways of, of giving back to yourself um, right. Is, right. sounds like a key to that. It is. It is. And we talk about that. My fifth principle in when I'm teaching the the core embodiment process is choosing nourishing resources moment to moment. And we do these brainstorming lists that go on and on and on. What are resources that refill your energy reservoir? And every group I teach, I get the most fantastic lists from connecting with friends to being at the seashore to being in awe of a beautiful cathedral or eating really nourishing food, getting to share the truth with your friends and not having to put on a fake uh, face. Um, Whatever it is, Mm -hmm. there's so many. And then, of course, there's just the basic grounding principles I teach and the breath principles I teach and the movement principles I teach. All of those are spectacular energy resources. And there are many more that I don't teach that are out there that are wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take giving a massage from a depleted state as one of the most common mistakes massage therapists make with regards to working with trauma. What are some other mistakes that uh, massage therapists tend to make? Well, they can get caught in their technique and misconnecting with the client. So when someone's really anxious about how they're doing, are they good enough? They'll have a tendency to actually stop listening to the person's body with curiosity and start listening from whatever technique they're doing. And then they said to do this, and then they said to do that. And the next thing you know, 
you're just suddenly noticing that the client is tightening up under your hands and you missed the first signal, which was five minutes ago, that they were, they were uh, their agenda about the techniques and how they had to finish this in a given amount of time was what was driving their bus as opposed to the listening to the tissue piece that is so paramount to doing really excellent bodywork of any kind. You know, it's one of the basic premises of craniosacral therapy, but it doesn't matter what particular mode you use. If you learn how to listen to the tissue, wow, everything changes. Whether you're rolfing, Aston patterning, Swedish massage, deep tissue, craniosacral, doesn't matter. They all, to, to master them, they depend on you learning to listen to the tissue. Hmm. Yeah. So is there like a chicken that. or the egg thing here where it's like, do you have to learn the technique thoroughly so you can you can do it in a relaxed state to be able to sense this? Or do you learn to only train the technique through the relaxed state? Ah, that's a little chicken and egg. You are right. I would say that as you practice something over and over and over again, you get more and more relaxed, unless, of course, you have an anxiety disorder. Um <laughs> You know who wrote, actually, two of my, my favorite colleagues, Kate McKinnon and Robin Schur, just wrote, they, they co-wrote an article for ABMP, and they did a beautiful piece. It's actually the cover article in this month's ABMP about using curiosity and really listening with your hands to the person's system that you're working on. So I would invite your, your listeners to go pick that up, and it's the October issue of ABMP. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So what would you say a best thing for a massage therapist to do if they're in a session and they're surprised or they discover a client is accessing or connecting with a past trauma? Okay. So sometimes there's very little to do because sometimes all you need to do is show up and be present. So someone could be accessing a past traumatic memory and just gentle tears could be streaming down their face and they're, they're there you know, just quietly crying and letting it out. And, and it's actually a relief. You don't really have to do anything except stay present with them um, because they just needed somebody to witness and not have an agenda and, and not be afraid of it, okay? That's a, really, truthfully, that's your first step. Are you present? Uh, do they need anything other than your presence? About 60% of the time, all they need is for you to show up and be present and witness them and say something simple like, wow, yeah, that must have been hard. Or, yeah, got it. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, it can be so simple, Haley. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, you're, but you want to say something that's, that's not leading that shows them you're there with them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're yeah. you're not trying to analyze them. You're not trying to give them yeah. any advice or skills or or direct the conversation or even direct their experience. It sounds like you just yeah. just hold hold the space and hold the container for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, it's interesting when I I was first starting out doing body work. I worked in a chair massage studio, and I I had no idea about working with trauma or that that could even come up in a massage session. Mm-hmm. Like it was not yeah. even in my, in my, in my worldview. Uh, yeah. And I was working on someone about three months into the job and I was just working on their shoulder and they were face down, you know, clothes on chair massage, a bunch of the people around and they started weeping. Mm-hmm. And I was extremely shocked. Like I didn't know what was happening. Right. 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 And what did I do? 
what did I do? What did I do? Did I hurt this person? Right. Fortunately, I don't. I think it was mo- almost by accident, but maybe it's just intuition. I kept my hands on them, and in retrospect, I realized my my you know the uh, instinct could have been to remove my hands. Oh, I did I hurt you? Let me take my hands away to stop the pain. Right. And in that moment, I think it would have. It, 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 it seems like it would have been like, oh, that's a rejection, or oh, that's not okay. Like that's the signal it would have would have delivered to my client. Oh, they're taking their hands off me because what I'm experiencing or how I'm expressing it is not okay in this in this scenario. Well, it could be. Or and the other piece they will also experience when you take your hands away is that you're abandoning them in their trauma. Mm-hmm. See, part of why that person started to cry, and I promise you, this is the truth, is because they were connected to you through a touch that was nurturing, non-invasive, and, and connected. And so that gave them the safety, if you're talking about Stephen Porges and the polyvagal theory, that gave them the physical safety to be able to let something go that they had had clamps on. They were just like tight, like a, a tight fist. And your touch clearly said safety. I'm here, I'm connected to you. And you intuitively stayed with that person. And that's cool. You did it. Yeah. That's great. I feel like it was an accident uh, that I I did it, quote unquote, right. But um, (laughs) I have to also trust that there's a a part of me that that kind of knew what to do at that that time. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, if if you don't have a trauma history yourself, it can be hard to even get the feel. Like, what just happened? Like, how, how could this even come up? If you've ever, though, in your life, been sitting with someone who is so safe and so present with you when you've just gone through something really stressful and in their presence, maybe they just reached over, touched your knee or put a hand on your shoulder and you just started to cry. It's like just, oh my God, there's a resource here that I didn't have before this conversation. You know, and it's great. I mean, it's helpful and healing because touch is such a, a locator for us as human beings and such a connector for us as human beings. And it's the beauty of massage therapy today that it's so widespread and so available to people. I love this because, and most of the world, by the way, is now getting it. The massage doesn't have to do with prostitution. It has to do with touch and connection and healing. And that's a really huge paradigm shift that has happened in the last 40 years. Trust Mm, me. mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I know there are some massage therapists that prefer to avoid working on clients who have trauma because they think it's scary or because mm-hmm. they worry that it will get out of hand. Uh, what are some signs that you are, in fact, over your head uh, with regards okay. to like being in a session and not being able to handle it? So Yeah, yeah. So number one, it'll depend on your educational background. If you've done work in advanced cranial sessions, like through the Upledger Institute, for instance, we actually give people a whole process to dialogue with when, when trauma comes up. So then you would actually be able to have that work. But if you're finding that your client is losing touch with reality, like they're dissociating, you know, their eyes are rolling back in their head or you're asking them, how's my touch? And there's no response at all. And they're not snoring, right? You then need to slow it down and just say, open your eyes for just a moment, if you would. I just want to do a short check-in. How are you doing? Hmm. Boom. If they cannot feed back to you what's going on, and they're not there with you, looking at you, if they're sort of out there somewhere else, yeah. you help them come back, 
you slow everything down and you just say, whoop, lost you there for a minute. That's a little contraindicated for what I do. Let's just sit here for a moment together and see how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. See what's going on. Yeah. Okay? And so then- that was- and then when yeah. you feel like it's calmed down, do you move to a different part of the body to try and draw yeah. the attention to a new area? Well, you could, or you can go work on their feet and mm-hmm. legs, which would ground them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can ask them where you could work that wouldn't uh, trigger whatever's happening. Yeah. You can, um, or you can actually brainstorm with them. You know, is this something that you've had happen before? Is this familiar? Are you seeing a good psychotherapist to work with this Hmm. um it's not really in my i I know that my touch is healing but it's not really in my um scope of practice to work with the process of dissociation and so i want to make sure that you get the resources you need my job is to relax and comfort you yeah that was going to be my next question was in a situation like that what would be an appropriate referral path what's the yeah. what's the best way to hand off that situation or at least uh move that situation in a, in a direction that uh gets that person the help they need uh, it would be to a good psychotherapist a body centered psychotherapist would be wonderful someone that's trained in for instance peter levine's somatic experiencing work uh pat ogden's sensory motor work Um, some of the other systems that are out there where they have the psychological background. And guess what? They also have the contract with their clients that when they get in over their heads, they can call that psychotherapist if it's midnight because they're, they're freaking out. And that's the contract. As a psychotherapist, you make contracts with people. I will hold the container until you get enough of yourself on board to be able to do it yourself. I don't have that kind of contract with my clients and I don't want it. I don't want the call at midnight. That's not my training. I have a lot of good resources and skills in working with trauma, but that's not my contract with them. That's not my scope of practice. Hmm. So that's one thing you really do kind of need to think about as you're, as you're working with this. What is your scope of practice? What's your agreement with the person you're working on? Hmm. Yeah. So, Speaking back to the massage therapist that might be a little uh, anxious or worried about working with clients that have trauma, what um, what would you say some of the benefits for massage therapists are for them to become comfortable and good at working with trauma? Well, <laughs> let's just take the amount of trauma in the world today, okay? I mean, just, I'm sorry, but how many mass shootings have there been in the last year? Almost more than there have been baseball games, from what I understand. It's gotten to be so crazy. So you have one incident traumas that happen for people. You have it happen in collectives. You also have the kind of trauma that happens that's not so much what we're about as, as um, massage therapists, but certainly it can be relational trauma, attachment trauma. I, I never got the connection or I was abused as a child from my parents, from my family system, and therefore the bond that they build with you if you're their regular massage therapist may be the first healthy connection that's nurturing and feeding for them that they've ever had. And it can be one of the most healing things if it's done, you know, if they really got a lot of trauma, if it's done in conjunction with a good psychotherapist, hugely speeds up their mental, emotional process. Having nurturing touch that they can trust, that doesn't have an agenda for them. Yeah. yeah. I also yeah. think that there's a way in which 
if a therapist goes down the path of starting to work and train to work with trauma, they may be able to identify and actually, if they've experienced trauma, they can actually work on it themselves. It's another benefit, right? Yes. That they'll be able to discover and and help themselves. Absolutely. That well, see, that's that's the secondary benefit. Yes, yeah. you got to do your own trauma work before you can work with other people with trauma. And so you're a happier, healthier human being from that than you were to begin with. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what are some of the resources and tools massage therapists can gain to better be prepared to work with trauma in their sessions? So, learning how to be grounded is huge. Not just visualizing yourself being grounded, but feeling the feeling of being grounded, connected to an external source that makes you feel really solid in your body. So when something pops up like that circumstance, you know, where you're there, your hands are on and all of a sudden, you know, someone's crying, you can take a moment and feel your feet on the floor, sink your roots in a little deeper so that you're very steady. That groundedness comes across to the client. And it helps them feel safer. So grounding is huge, okay? Then you need to have on board a way of breathing that calms your nervous system. Because particularly when something shocks you, like your first time with it, you need to have a a habitual way that you know how to breathe to bring your heart rate down, to help you calm your internal system so that you can stay really present without having the other person's stuff cross your boundaries and start to permeate what's going on in you. Mm. Yeah. 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 So in your book, you also talk about curiosity as a powerful yeah. tool. Can you elaborate on what you mean and give an example or two of how that might play out in the context of a bodywork session? Well, um, it's interesting because curiosity, and they've actually done research on curiosity now, when the attribute of curiosity is ignited, if you will, if, if you, if you go into a curious state when you're up against something that you don't, when you're in the unknown, right? Oh my goodness. I don't think I've ever felt this in someone's shoulder before, right? If you can instigate your curiosity, your hands actually translate something different to the tissue than if you find a lump in somebody's shoulder and you go, oh, I got to dig in on that one. You know, that's a very different feeling that the shoulder has than letting your thumb kind of sink in and move all around it and say, huh, who are you? What's up here? Or any, in any body part, just to really listen and be curious because the tissue always has information for you. New information, information you may never have felt before. Information that the person on the table couldn't tell you because they were not in touch with it until you touched them. And until your nurturing safe touch allowed for them to have this information float to the surface of their system. There's a depth that you cannot reach when you're in a judgmental state, but you can. There's a safety that goes along with being curious and grounded and present that is like none other. And can yeah. you define judgmental state in this case? I mean, it sounds like judgment can range anywhere from th- judging that this knot is bad and needs to go away or right. like what, what are other ways in which judgment okay. kind of plays out? Here's another judgment. Oh my God, I've never felt this before. Oh my God, I'm, I don't know what to do. Oh my God, I, I didn't take that. Cl- oh, I, that class isn't until next month. 
what am I going to do? I don't know what to do with this. Do you get the tension that's going through that thumb into that person's mm -hmm. whatever it is, right? Yeah. Or let's say judgment is, oh my God, do you think this is something really serious? Oh my God, should I say something to them? Oh, wait, wait, I can't do anything like that. I'm, I'm a massage therapist. I can't, you know, you got the right. idea. So yeah. judgment and fear and anxiety all go hand in hand in hand. Yeah. And so it also, by the way, judgment takes us to the, I already know what this is box. And so you lose the capacity to hear anything new in a session. And so when you do that, all that information that's floating to the surface in that person's system is missing. Hmm. And you're just doing the same old thing yeah. over and over again. And it can get kind of boring, by the way. I mean, as much as I love the year or so that I just did massage, I have to say it was a little boring <laughs> because I hadn't yet mastered how to just be curious. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it could sound like it's an oxymoron, right? Where judgment takes you into a space of you've decided what it is. Um, right. Even if you've decided what it is, is something that you don't know, right? Right. You're, you're right. putting it in the, I know this is something I don't know, as opposed to being curious and maybe you'll discover it's something you do know or have some input in. Yeah. Right? yeah. Do you have a favorite failure of yours? Or an uh -huh. apparent failure that has later set you up for success? Do you know, one of the things that's really important when you have your 10,000 hours under your belt in something, no matter what it is you're doing, is the ability to say, oops, I misread that. Ah, wait a minute. I didn't get that right. Oh, whew. hmm. That can't possibly be the correct thing to do. So... One of the ones I actually wrote an article in Massage Magazine about this was one of my early, 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 early trauma clients. And she had one of the worst trauma histories to this day, one of the worst trauma histories I've ever heard coming out of anyone's mouth. And she had a pretty severe dissociative disorder. So in other words, if if her system went into arousal, zing, you know, she was out of there and and it would take her quite a while to kind of come back. Well, we had a really lovely heart connection, she and I. She knew I cared about her, but I was the first year or so in my own training. I didn't, I, and in those days, nobody was talking about what do you do when somebody disappears from the room psychically. And so I just would sit there and hold a presence and wait for her to return. And sometimes she did, and sometimes she didn't by the end of the hour. And then she'd kind of wander and sit in her car for a while before she came back. And But the interesting piece was, she taught me about how it slows things down when someone's emotional process gets overwhelming to them and they dissociate. So it would really slow things down for her healing process when I didn't help her titrate it in a way that was helpful. Hmm. Now, she was actually one of the people that spurred me on to get the training I needed to be able to titrate the integration process more carefully. And if you go to the literature in somatic psychology, every single one of those big name people from Peter Levine to Robert Scare to Pat Ogden to, I mean, all of them, all of them will tell you that they had the session where they not knowing how to titrate it, had the person just start to talk about their trauma and how it just blew up on them. And it really messed with the person. And they, they were completely doing it from all compassion and, 
and everything. And I think the one thing that really saved the circumstance between me and this original client was that we had a very strong heart connection and she knew I cared about her. So as we would work, was slowly, slowly, slowly coming together for her. But I know with what I know now, I could have done it a lot faster had I realized how to do it. I just didn't know mm-hmm. at the time. And, yeah. and, and probably less difficulty, less challenge for her as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and also you want to really watch out for a therapist who acts like they know it all and they don't make a mistake. So, you know, I, one of the things I say to my students is, you know, when I'm mentoring craniosacral things, I say, if one of your clients says to lighten up or shift your hands, thank them for giving you the feedback and move your hands. Don't, don't act like you know better. Don't say, oh, but your body wants me to be here. Don't do that. That's just, that's just rude. And, and besides, it's not true. That's and it's your, your yeah, it's your ego getting in the way. Exactly. Yeah. So I always thank my clients. And, and by the way, you know, 30, let's see, I started in 81. So um, 83. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been quite a while. Even low these four decades later, uh, people still say that's a little too heavy, Suzanne, or I think you're slightly in front of me. Can you slow it down? And I always say, thank you so much. How am I doing now? Did I get it right yet? Hmm. And I wait for them to give me that feedback. It's funny, we learn that dynamic in massage school over and over and over again. Request feedback. Thank your client for feedback. Yeah. Use it to make yourself better. And somehow, somewhere along the way, uh, some of us forget that. We start to feel it, like uh, we're the one in the not. know. We're the expert. Yeah. All right. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and, and discuss this topic. I've learned a lot. And I feel like it's something that all massage therapists should have some experience with or at least some access to in terms of resource because you never know uh, who's going to come in your massage room. And uh, I would also encourage them to go take a look at your book, which is Reclaiming Your Body, uh, just released, and your previous book, which is about presence. Full body presence. Full body presence. So go ahead and check that out. And if they want to learn more about you and your work, is there uh, a place that they can go find out more about you? Yes. Um, my website is www.healingfromthecore.com. And I have a whole raft of courses that were really honestly primarily created for those in body work. I now teach a lot of people that aren't body workers. You know, I teach coaches and psychotherapists and lay public and caregivers of all kinds. But my primary audience has always been massage therapists, and craniosacral therapists. So I love having you all in my classes. So please do come take a look at the website, find the class, and join me. Wonderful. Well, keep doing the wonderful work you're doing, and thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well.